There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... <laughs> Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. I'm Derek Peterson. Across from me, as he is most weeks, is Greg Smith. Greg, how are you? I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. It'd be better if the Lakers had won their first game, but I'm, I'm well. Every time you're on this and I intro it and you do your little like, <laughs> fist bump or whatever your little muted celebration is when I say welcome to, it always throws me off. Every single time it throws me off. <laughs> you should be used to it by now. This time the other people that are outside of here in the office noticed and are out there laughing, so that was good. They're not looking now, but oh, they really? noticed my celebration oh, okay. here. Um, your Lakers played. The NBA is back. I'm the happy NBA about this. Do, you, do you feel good about oh, I the feel, performance I feel from the Lakers? Fine. or do you? Are you like, why is LeBron deferring so much? Uh, I actually didn't think about that until people were talking about it afterwards. My main concern from that game was twofold. One, for being a team that has such a size advantage over, they had a size advantage in that game over the Clippers, but will like almost every night. They got out-rebounded by way too many. And the shots that they got Anthony Davis were just too difficult. Like that, that was odd. I guess threefold. They didn't run any pick and roll with LeBron and Anthony Davis. That that was my third complaint. And you're just not going to beat really good teams when LeBron and Anthony Davis have two combined points in the fourth quarter. Like that, that's not how they're going to win. So yeah, I'm I'm not all that concerned. I thought it was interesting. You you have um, too many stars that you have one guy trying to figure out how to defer to the other guy. My team has no stars where we're getting run off the court in the fourth quarter because we have nobody to make the shot. That did so. happen. Yeah. But, hey, maybe we should, though, be saying, and no one is because it's LeBron and you have to, like, find the negative portion of it, but should they, shouldn't they? should we be saying that LeBron was willing to defer to Anthony Davis and that actually means he wants to be a good teammate and respects AD? No, I thought that was great. I mean, there was he, he, how many passes did he throw to Anthony Davis? Post? It was like very. It was very obvious that LeBron was like, "Hey, uh, we want Anthony Davis to be the engine of the offense, yeah. and I will be the secondary scorer whenever it opens up." That was interesting to see. It can that also, can work if they actually get him better looks. Like it was just like too many post ups at seventeen feet. <laughs> you just can't do that. Also, the Phoenix Suns won by thirty. They did. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So a, a few, Who would they a few be able hours. To beat by they beat the Kings. Oh well. This a will few be hours after I told Jacob Padilla that Devin Booker was requesting a trade this season because the Suns were going to once again be bad, they win by thirty points. I mean, one game. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll see it, how it, it goes. It is one game. Like, I, so if they if they won their first game, I'd still set their over under at twenty, and we'll see kind of where they go from here. I think this season it's set at like twenty four and a half. 
Okay. <laughs> Which is like really low considering that they have a bunch of guys brought in to win basketball games this season but yeah. not be part of the team long term. Yeah, that's an interesting mix. That'll be, eh, we'll see. What is your least favorite NBA uh, trope or like social media thing that happens that you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm glad basketball is back, but I could do without this? Uh, the the analytics. What is <laughs> like, always, but it's always my answer. What? Like I hate the like spreading and proliferation of basketball analytics and like only figuring out the game based on a spreadsheet versus watching the game. Like that drives me nuts. Oh, this is you didn't see that then. coming. <laughs> like, did you? Did you? Did you see then Kevin Durant and um, Matt Matt Moore from I did HP see that. basketball yeah. kind of go back and forth. I did. Yeah, and yeah. Matt like. <laughs> tweeted a some spreadsheet at <laughs> yes, Kevin Durant like, Kevin responded here, with, a, <laughs> with the gif of like uh what is happening trying to decipher like algebra in his head it was great doing? it was a classic example of yes, player the... <laughs> versus statistician but there's room for that <laughs> there, I, uh, I, Brad Hoiberg is a big like, analytics guy is he I feel bad now he is um, I... I mean that's why they shoot so many threes it's the best shot on the floor it, okay, so the thing is, is that two things can be true at once, and people have a hard time with this. Yes, the three-point shot is the best shot on the floor, but that doesn't mean we completely throw the mid-range game in the trash. Like, the best player in the world right now, arguably, Kawhi Leonard, like, is the master of the mid-range game. Okay, but here's game. the thing. Like, Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant shoot mid-range jumpers better than 99.9% of the NBA, right? So if yeah. they're shooting it, it's fine for them to take it, but for the other 99.9% of the NBA where their average mid-range shooting percentage is hovering around the the high 30s, low 40s, that's basically a three-point shot, but you're getting one point more. Right, but as Kevin so eloquently said during that argument, there's a bunch of guys that shouldn't, shouldn't be shooting those threes, too, that are just jacking them up. But, like, if, if you're shooting percent, like... I get the basic, I get the math behind what you're saying. I'm not saying I don't get it. I just think, like, we, in the, and honestly, the whole, like, three-point shot versus twos, especially the long twos, um, I don't necessarily disagree with that portion of the analytics, but that's as far as I want to go. Like, I don't want to hear about defensive wind shares and DVOA and advanced plus minus box net, whatever it is. I'm just making (laughs) stuff up because that's what it sounds like, um, like, it drives me nuts. Like, and it especially, like, see, this is this whole thing, and I can't believe you, you got me to go here. <laughs> like, whenever someone says, like, oh, player X has great counting stats, but they don't affect winning, and Jacob says this all the time, so I'm just going to call him out here. Like, that drives me nuts. Like, counting stats, quote-unquote, and things that, Devin like, Booker are has just 70 in the... points, and his team lost the game. Like, so then does Devin Booker not and, affect winning? No. Well, that actually, no, he doesn't. But, like, you know what I mean? four so years like, and they won, like, a combined 80 games in those four years. Well, that's true, too. Um, so, yeah, that stuff just drives me nuts. Like, I, it, it really does. Like, I'm much closer to guys like Charles Barkley on this than, oh, like, say, Daryl Morey, who's you, don't want to be you guys' related, king. You don't want to be related <laughs> to Charles Barkley. Then not really, but on that one, I'm with Chuck. Sorry. I don't know how we got here. <laughs> I don't know how we got here either. But that is a legitimate, like, in all of sports gripe of mine, not just, like, NBA Twitter. Like, so so you're not a fan of uh, advanced statistical analysis kind of bleeding its way over into football? 
I'm kind of taking a patient approach, <laughs> kind of wait and see. But some of it I actually find really interesting, and maybe that's what it is. It's it's a to a point thing with me. Um, like the what's it points per play? I think like you and Brandon talk about quite a bit. Like I actually think that that's really valuable. Um, there's some other things too that I can think of off the top of my head, but I think that um, like some of the newer stuff, like havoc rate, <laughs> which are things that are kind of new recently, I think have a lot of value. Like I just don't want to see it go too far. That's all. I'm not trying to think of things that. Our, our college football analytics that you might not be happy about. Well, I'm sure there's some. How do you feel? About, do you like stuff rate? Um, as a measure of how successful a defensive line is, that's that's pretty good. So the the sample size tends to be pretty small, when you're, especially when you're talking about 12 games, because you're looking at only third or fourth downs where there's uh, I think a yard or two to gain, yeah. or they're at the goal line. So pretty small sample size. Yeah. But doesn't bother you? No. Uh, not not that much. I'm gonna look for one. Wait, there's I'm sure there is one. I just can't think of I'm gonna look for some numbers. <laughs> okay. Because go look like through your articles and be like, oh, here's something that he won't like. Because Scott Frost talks all the time about how he doesn't uh doesn't read stuff and doesn't pay attention to the numbers or the statistics, but they they look at all of this yes, stuff. They look at all of I remember it. <laughs> one time I, I before I wrote the um before I wrote the PN10 story yeah. feature for our, our yearbook two years ago, I think, um, I texted one of the assistant coaches. I was like, hey, is this something you guys look at? And the response I got back was, we look at everything. I'll actually never forget that. Cause I find that <laughs> hilarious. Um, so, yes, that was like, one of my favorite, like, yeah. someone else's staff interactions um, was that one. Because, But that is actually true. They do look um, at everything, which I think is also something, to me, I actually like about this staff is that I feel like they're going to try and take in all of the available information. Like, and I think that there is value in trying to find all of the info you can and then willing it down from there and seeing what you think matters and not, but at least get the information in their case, That's not right. mine. <laughs> uh, later in the podcast, I'm talking to Cameron Drummond. Um, he covers Indiana football for the Journal Gazette on uh, Fort Wayne. So we'll, we'll, I'll be having a conversation with him. He'll preview Indiana. Greg, we'll start with the big news of the week, and that is um, Maurice Washington is is no longer a part of the team. Um, there was stuff there. I mean, we don't have to get into rumors or, or reports or anything like that, but there was, you know, he was not part of the team throughout the bye week. Um, and, and Frost said he's not going to play against Indiana. He's not going to be part of the team moving forward. Frost said Thursday um, that, uh, I mean, he left the door open. He said Maurice and, and him are going to have a meeting. Um, and if Maurice wants to rejoin the team, it sounds like Frost will allow that, but there are going to be, um, it sounds like a, a laundry list of things that he's going to have to either do or prove or show. I, Frost was not uh, forthcoming with details, but um, he, he said he's going to have to earn back his team's trust. He's going to have to earn back the coach's trust. Um, but the door is open for Maurice Washington to return. Greg, the question that I want to ask you if Mo is not part of this picture moving forward, what does that do to Nebraska's um, to Nebraska's offense and to its running back room this season and then moving into the future? So, I mean, it, obviously that the easy answer is it hurts the running back room just because he's a, he's a dynamic player. Like, and there's no real way uh, to get around that. And you, it, it's tough because you did not see that over the last few weeks, right? Like, you, it. it 
his play the last few weeks kind of mirrored what the rest of the offense has been like, um, just kind of pedestrian. Um, and whether that was him kind of checking out, whether it was, you know, nagging injuries, whatever the the reason was, the, the play wasn't as good as it was, um, especially to start the season. You go back and you think about that big play that he had in the Colorado game out in Boulder. Um, that's kind of the symbol of what you were kind of hoping to get from him moving forward on a consistent basis because he has shown flashes of that. So the room is hurt because you need running backs at the stage that where the blocking is on the team. And I don't want to just, you know, single out the offensive line. It's also been perimeter blocking. And I think that Scott's made a point to say that his last few pro- um, po- press conferences. But with where that is, you need guys that can create on their own. And he was, the I guess, the best pure running back at that, right? Not counting Wandale if I couch it that way. And so it ends up hurting the room um, in the short term, but it also it clears things up a little bit because now you would assume that Dedrick Mills has to become kind of your feature back and then you sprinkle the other guys in. And sometimes I wonder if, and this happened last year, and I think it's the underrated part of what happened with Divino Zigbo last year, is that once Greg Bell left, that cleared things up. Now, whether or not Greg Bell was as good as Maurice Washington, he was not. Um, and I don't think it matters for that portion of it. I, I, it's just that that unmuddying of the water and what the running back rotation is can also help people if they can actually slide into a role. So if you have Mills slide into or slide up into a bigger role, and then you have some grouping of Wyatt Mazur, Ramir Johnson, and Brody Belt, knowing that they're going to get some carries and need to go out there and contribute, I think that that can end up helping those guys in their preparation. And as far as the future goes, I think they'll be fine. Well, hold on, hold on. Let's not go there. Okay, don't go there yet. yet. No, no, because I wanted you to go there, but now I want to ask you another question. (laughs) Do you subscribe to the belief that a running back has to get warmed up and get into the rhythm of a game? Because Devino Zigbo talked about that a lot last year. He had to get... He had to get into the rhythm of a game, and he didn't. He didn't like the by committee approach. He wanted to have the ball, um, and like you said, whenever this, whenever the the picture got clearer, and and Greg Bell left, and it was Divino Zigbo's ball, mm. seven times out of ten, whatever you want to put the number at, and, and other guys were just sprinkled in to use your word. Like Divine really took off, and do do you think? And, and Diedrich's kind of that same style of mm. runner. Do you think that there's something to be said about? Especially for that specific, you know, like a guy who's a bruiser or a guy who runs between the tackles more than, you know, a guy like Mo who just likes to make people miss in space. Do you, do you think that there's something to be said about being, um, about like getting warmed up in a game with just getting like your first five carries and getting a feel for how everything, like, do you think that, that Diedrich can, uh, take, take another step? because of this yes and it's funny because if you had asked me this when the staff first got here i would have said no because i think that i i like in theory i really like the committee approach because it keep guys fresh um and guys can use all of their strengths to the best advantage for whatever sets you're going to run and all of that um but it's starting to my mind is starting to change on that based on what we saw with divine and what i think is going to end up happening with Dedrick mills i think he will take off because of this um and i'll be curious to see kind of going forward once he like what his 
carry one through seven looks like and then like seven through 12 and then beyond right i would be curious to see what like a little breakdown of that um not that i couldn't just do it but you know what i mean like because i think that it will end up benefiting him but i also do think that you hit on something important i think it's the style of runner that that matters most for because i don't see a guy like say ramir johnson like i don't see him being that type of guy i mean like he could be a guy that comes in change of pace and then hits you for a 60 yard run without needing that warm-up whereas you'll get later in the game in the fourth quarter and mills's runs um that started off as say four or five yards are now you know eight to twelve or even more than that does any of this even matter talking about the running back room like who's getting carries will they be more effective like will they be able to do more does any of it even really matter because the offensive line has been terrible mm-hmm. through the first however many games like like i'm done sugarcoating they've been really bad and a lot of the talk over the last two weeks has been getting back to basics about being better in your fundamentals about being better in your technique about needing to push guys back more on the offensive line i, I I mean, technique doesn't solve Trent Hickson getting bull rushed the way he did. I mean, it probably, you know, he he was a lot more vertical than he probably should have been, so he was maybe off balance to to begin. But uh, if they're getting physically beat on the offensive line, like changing your technique or getting, quote-unquote, back to basics over a two-week span doesn't really fix that. Do you think that, that this offensive line can show real, tangible improvement over the next however many weeks because of work that was done throughout this bye week or do you think it's it's just a this is a lost season and you need to get Bryce Benhart ready for next year could they improve yes they could um do I have a ton of faith and confidence in that no and sorry but it's it's tough because you just haven't seen it but at the same time like what what would you say this is not to throw a question back at you but like what what do you think the catalyst was for them improving last year because around this time last year, they they I guess they got better around this time last year. Yeah, so think, what can they replicate from Gerald Foster? I, th- I think they just really missed those two guys. And Brendan Hymas and Matt Forniak haven't provided the same kind of uh, play-to-play consistency that those two guys did. But is is part of that, though, is so in, in Farmer and Foster, we're talking about two of your three interior interior mm-hmm. linemen. Is part of it been that, is it the, too, over, over, too much of a simplification to say that the interior of the line has been really bad and that has messed up the inside zone portion of this offense to which this offense is completely built around that. And it starts with the inside zone. But I don't think Cam Jurgens has been bad. Like from a, from a snapping standpoint, he's had plenty of issues, but pure block. I mean, if you just isolate him blocking dudes, he's been great. Yeah. Which has actually been a surprise to me. Like, I would have assumed... Now, no one assumes that you have those snapping issues that they had. And listen, they are what they are. And they have gotten better, for the record. Um, I would have thought that he would have struggled more with blocking. And that we would have been able to see, like, really easily stretches where he struggled blocking. And I can't, without, like, really diving into play-by-play film. Like, I haven't seen that. Which has been, I think, really encouraging. I think it's a lot easier. It should be a lot easier to fix that snapping issue than say if he was just getting demolished on a play-by-play basis. Um, and I think that people should still be really encouraged by Cam Jurgens moving into the future. But that's just a separate thing. The guard play to me has been the biggest letdown. 
And I feel like we talk about Hickson um, and what's happened with him. And he got pulled, obviously, that Minnesota game. But kind of the regression from Bo Wilson and, like, what happened to kind of the, like, kind of nasty physical dude that we've seen over the last little bit when people were really clamoring for him to play just a couple of years ago. Like, I don't know where that went, but I think that there's something to the interior of the line struggling much more than the tackles, even though the tackles also haven't been great. Um, but I think that they have to, it maybe to me starts there with trying to figure out the interior of the line. I don't think I've ever been impressed with Bo Wilson. Like I've never been like, okay, this is a dude that's going to be a multi-year starter contending for like an all conference spot. Mm. Like and that and that's what you need. Like it, they, it, at some point win. they have to get that. Like at some point they're gonna have to have linemen here that contend for all conference honors. Yeah. I mean that's <laughs> like, what this whole thing like, is built around. Yes. Like like you can have as, as many skill position players as you want that are that are, you know, top of the conference guys, but in this league it's just not gonna work unless you have elite talent on the offensive line. Do you think that's something that they maybe underestimated because of the the quality of competition that they played at Central Florida? No, I actually don't think that they underestimated it. I think that they maybe thought that they had more in the cupboard when they got here, given how many older guys they had or guys with playing experience um, in that offensive line room or even kind of highly recruited guys. And that like recruiting on paper has not been the issue with the offensive line. It's been development and recognizing if those guys are truly four-star or high three-star players, right? That's been the big issue. They got plenty of stars along that offensive line. Um, and I think that you the, the way that I know that without even just like flat out asking someone is go and look at how many offensive of linemen they brought into the program since they've been here like that first transition class was not enough and maybe just cam jurgens because willie canty didn't make it um but last year's class had what six or seven offensive linemen in it guys that were kind of swing players even that were going to play on the defensive line if they realized oh we need more bodies to put on the offensive line um and they'll take another three or so this year as well so yeah i think that that'll be you know 10, 11 offensive linemen in three years, or really 10 and two. So I, I think they understand that it's an issue. Uh, Greg Austin said this week that Ethan Piper and uh, Bryce Benhart, I just blanked on his name. I mm. want to call him Brant Banks for a second. That's not right. <laughs> Bryce Benhart um, are two guys that he wants to get into the game. And Frost was asked about it on Monday. He's like, Look, you guys keep asking me about these two players. They will play when they are ready. And if they're not playing, they're not ready. So I asked Greg, I was like, what does ready look like to you? Is it is it physically being ready at this age? Or is it is it mentally and, and being comfortable in the playbook? And, and he was like, it's all mental. He said, you're never going to be physically ready for the Big Ten as a true freshman at this kind of a program. So what you have to do is you just have to be mature enough to handle things. You have to be comfortable enough in the playbook to where we can throw you out there and we can run our offense and not have to to scheme to cover up for you mm-hmm. but they just need to play and so it's really interesting to hear mm-hmm. the two dueling ideologies it, it sounds like austin wants to get those two guys in particular into the game this weekend against indiana it, he wasn't i mean he didn't say whether it was like I want to blow Indiana out so that we can play these guys in the fourth quarter like they got guys in against Northern Illinois or or if it's like, hey, I want these guys to play in the first quarter, mm-hmm. like in a rotation. And, and he was asked about Brock Bando being in a rotation with Trent Hickson, and he said, we'll stick with Hickson and, and we'll see what happens. We have a plan there. Um, so it 
it's kind of unclear of what it's going to look like on the offensive line, but like this is something that you and I have talked about off and on all season long. If Brant, if I did it again, if Ben Hart is coming into the game, he's playing tackle. Yes. Yeah. So, are you kicking Farniak inside to guard? Yeah, like what do you do? Or are you just sitting him down for a series? And if you're bringing Piper in, is he coming in at guard? I would assume so, yeah. So are you taking then Hickson out? Or are you putting both guys on the right side and taking out Farniak and Bo Wilson? I would pro. It depends. Like you probably don't want to put take out both side, both guys on the right side and put two true freshmen in at once, right? You probably don't want to no. do that. Um, so it would make sense to have a little strategy behind that and maybe do one or the other, or do one at Bryce Benhart at right tackle and then do uh, Piper at left guard. Uh, so that would make a little bit more sense. But I do find it really interesting what how Austin phrased that with the, the mentally being ready. Because if you also combine that with what he said about Bryce Benhart after he got into the game, he said that he handled himself out there like a veteran and that he had some you know first play jitters or first game jitters, but then he got over that really quickly, which I also Bryce said. So we got to talk to him too about that. Um, and he looked pretty good out there. So I think that that's a, for, if I'm Bryce Benhart and I'm thinking about my development here, I'm actually really encouraged by that because the thing that the coach says that he wants to see out of me or any young guy when we go out there he saw it so I I would feel encouraged by that but I I do think that you have to find a way to sprinkle them in because the future of your offensive line I don't want to say it all rest on those two guys but they're gonna hopefully be a big part of what you do moving forward in the future when this thing is really cranked up you're talking uh, ben Hart and Ethan Piper, or Ben Hart and Cam Jurgens. In this case, Ben Hart and Ethan Piper. Cam Jurgens will also be. There's, I think, three of your five future offensive linemen. And then Turner Corcoran would be the fourth. Yeah. And then who's the fifth? Is he on the team right now, or in this next recruiting class? If so, well, let me think about this. So, if you have, let's say, if you have, what has happened to Jimmy Fritschke? I mean, the same thing that's happened to Matthew Anderson, like they're developing, <laughs> like, I mean, because they're similar guys. It's, I always lumped them together because of that. Like, I feel like one of those two guys is going to be really good. We just don't know which one it's going to be, right? Because they're both very similar, like really tall, like six, 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 seven, like kind of thin guys that are very athletic that used to play tight end. Like a lot of, like a lot of teams you look around the country are doing that. Um, they just usually have the time to develop them, and you know people aren't always asking about them because their current offensive line is playing well. And not saying that that was you, but just in general, that's what happens here. Uh, so, I, but I do think that one of them will be good. I don't. I stalled a long time to say I don't know who the fifth guy then would be because then you got guys like michael lynn it would have to be another interior guy unless some unless then guards yeah unless then unless like frishy is really good or anderson and can play that left tackle and you kick turner inside the guard i still want to see what happens if you put will farniak back at guard that's what he played when he when he got here he did like they moved him so, to center because they had center issues. I want to see what he looks like on on, on the field next to Cam Jurgens, not in place of Cam, but next to Cam Jurgens. Because if he's good enough to be challenging Dave Remington Light in fall <laughs> camp, like you got to find a spot for him in that see, case. See if he see if, see what he does out there. But you also the the funny thing though about what we're discussing here about this offensive line and all of the young guys is that's a lot of guys we just named, right? But you just have to 
get there. Like, that takes time. And with the way that the overall team and season has gone, people don't want to hear that, right? But you can see and, like, I think easily get to a point where you're like, okay, this offensive line can be pretty good down the road. We've just got to let them develop. Because there are a lot of young guys that are very intriguing or are very highly touted in the case of Corcoran coming into the program. Um, even, you know, Cam Jurgens, but or and Bryce Benhart, I should say, who's on the team is very highly touted. Like guys that you feel really good about moving forward. You just have to get there. So do you get there by starting that developmental process this season? I got, but what does that five. look like? So is it I would I would say yes. But it doesn't need to, to me, though, that does not mean starting Bryce Benhart and forcing Farniak inside right now. Like, to me, that means kind of what Austin was saying this week of I want to have a plan to get them in the game for like a series or two, start to ramp them up, like do it that way. Like, I don't think you just throw a guy in there. And you do throw, you disagree? You I think just you just throw, throw him in the wolves and see what happens. <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, maybe. You learn by playing, you get better by playing. You, you, it, but if you do that, it has to be an all out commitment the same way it was with Jerkins. The same way yeah, it, was it like does. We, yeah. This guy is the board. guy we need to develop him. We're not going to pull him, which they wavered a little bit in the first game, but it was just so bad. They probably needed to. Um, but since then, I mean, I, like, I, if you're going to do it, you just have to commit to it. And so, I mean, this is like, this is the, the question I've been wrestling with all week long is you kind of are at a point in time where you need to do that, especially at a couple positions. Like I think wide receiver is another position where you just have to say, look, the guys we have out there aren't getting it done. I understand they're seniors, but let's, let's put Darian chase on the field and just live through the growing pains. Let's put Jamie Nance on the field and just live yeah. through the growing pains. But you still have to win two football games. You do. And that's the thing. And I, the thing, too, though, and so now it's a different discussion because I think the wide receiver position, I think, is different than the offensive line position where I'm still not 100% convinced that kind of I Noah could not be effective if he was being looked at on a more consistent basis. Like, though he's had some drop issues, and I get that, um, I just wonder, like, the whole offense has been so disjointed. I wonder if the wide receivers have gotten a true chance. And I'm not saying that to completely absolve them of any like blame or whatever, but I, I just wonder if we've seen that group's full potential based on just how everything has gone. Yes. You think we we have crossed that? Okay. Yeah, I think I think we know what uh, Mike Williams is at this point. I think we know what kind of I know is at this point. I don't think John Woodyard has gotten a, a a shot enough of a chance to to know what he is. Yeah, what's um, happening there? But I, but I, but I think you know the younger guy. Like, it's gonna, it's gonna sound like I'm just like riding for my guy from the Oklahoma mm-hmm. guy, but I feel like Jamie Nance needs a shot, especially yeah. if Frost keeps talking about him being um, an effective scout team player and a guy who early enrolled, so he should know the offense well enough. Mm-hmm. Why not? I, I mean, like, oh. like Maurice Washington right now is your third leading receiver. Yeah, it's probably a problem. <laughs> it, it actually is a real problem because in theory, honestly, your third leading receiver based on how everything has gone should be either Jack Stoll or Austin Allen, like, which is a whole different discussion <laughs> about the usage of the tight end. Um, but it, it's – but also I wonder if how much of the wide receiver struggles is 
related to the fact that I feel like every wide receiver is playing out of position except for Wandale. I mean, that's a big part. Like, <laughs> like I feel like, and I feel like that's something and, that doesn't get talked about. Jacob enough. finally, <laughs> finally turned the corner on this and came to my side of thinking. We're like, they have the exact same player up and down their wide receiver room. It's yeah. the exact same guy. It's the five nine one eighty track star. You yeah. cannot have five of those dudes. They have a lot of positional redundancy in the wide receiver room, and it's really hurting them. And I don't think that they expected that to be the case. That I agree 100% on. I do not think that they expected that to be the case, because I think that what your initial thought process maybe is, is that our offense will still look like it did, say, at UCF or what it was at Oregon, where you can just picture guys streaking down the field, and we're scheming guys open, and they're so fast that they're blowing the top off the defense. But you do forget. Get about the guy. Oh, and now, of course, his name, last name Smith. Uh, Smith. Yeah, Traquan Smith, like that type of guy, Stanley Morgan from last year. Um, you will always need that guy. Not only will you always need him just for balancing the offense, you maybe need two of them. You need them in this conference, too, right? Like, you can't, like, it's an extreme example, kind of, but eventually you're going to have to address that elephant in the room. Like, Ohio State, you're never going to beat them on the outside with all guys that look the way that Nebraska's wide receiver room looks. You need a guy like Dominic Watt. Yes. Which is an entirely separate discussion that we can have at a different day. We've already <laughs> we've already started to talk about it, and I think once we get into this offseason, we'll be talked about more. The 2018 transition class really yeah. kind of screwed them over a little bit. With, yeah, with we could do a whole pot on that. We could, yeah, because <laughs> it's kind of falling apart. And, and we talked about it on the group chat mm-hmm. uh, a week or two ago or whatever that was, so... Um, okay, the last thought that I want to get from you when I derailed you, the running back position going into the future beyond this season, does does Maurice impact what they do on the recruiting trail? That's an interesting question that I don't yet have a complete answer to, is that I don't know if, or like this year, if they need to add, or if they will add a third running back to the mix. Um, they have two really good ones, uh, currently committed, Savion Morris in Oklahoma, Morrison in Oklahoma, and Marvin Scott III down in Florida, both having really good senior seasons. Um, both guys that I think really fit what they're trying to do well, um, but I don't know if you need to add another guy and not even necessarily because of Mo Washington, but you have to think about Mo Washington in combination with Ronald Tompkins and what's kind of happening with his injury situation. So you have to guard for that. So it may be a Juco guy, a transfer guy would make sense there. Um, but I, but with that being said, I think they'll be fine at running back because I trust the person that's recruiting their running backs and Ryan Held. If anyone is going to be able to figure out how to get more talent into their room, it'll be Ryan Held. I'm not worried about that. Do you have an Indiana score prediction? Do you want to give it on the podcast? <laughs> what do I have? You I'm... can say no if you don't want to give it. I may be. Okay, so I'll, no, I'll be honest. You can change it too if you want to. Early in the week. I I just didn't like the vibe, like, at all. Like, I'm just going to be honest, and I think a lot of people didn't, um, especially Monday with the way that that press conference went um, and the way that just kind of players talked about everything. So I had um, Nebraska losing 24-7, to okay? I think it's now a, a toss-up. I'm a superimposed, like, pitchfork sound. Like, <laughs> that like would a, probably like a, work. Like a riot sound. I, 
while you're sorry sorry (laughs) um but as we've gone through the week i think now it's basically a toss-up um especially as we get gone this whole time not really mentioned this um is the health of adrian martinez the health of wandale robinson um as they look more likely than not in my opinion to play um i think that gives nebraska a good shot in the arm it really is to me a fascinating week because i think this is the biggest game of the frost era so far which is wild considering where what everybody thought was going to happen this season and what you thought about this game as a throwaway in or in August, right? Um, this game means a lot. And so I, I kind of, at this point now, I'm going to change this and say Nebraska wins a close one. I, the score doesn't matter. Let's say 23-20. Um, because they have to. Like they honestly have to. Like there's a lot, there's a lot riding on this game, and it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with bowl eligibility. Like they need to get positive momentum back into the program because I feel like for the first time there are people, a lot of people, not just kind of the crazies that are always wanting to fire the coach, um, but a lot of people questioning the direction and the overall direction of the program. We're gonna have a lot of uncomfortable conversations if they lose this game and continue to play poorly. Five and three looks a lot better than four and four yes when two of your last four opponents are wisconsin and iowa yeah and you have to we can have discussion more if they find a way to win this game and win another one in these next couple but they need to be competitive if not win one of those wisconsin or iowa games like especially the iowa one i think Iowa's a lot closer to their toss-up than than people would think. I, people are going to be like, oh, you're disrespecting. I don't think Iowa's very good. Like, I don't think the offense is very good. <laughs> I, 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 the people say this to me too, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that I just don't think Iowa's ever really that good. Like, if you can just think, if you can, it, but but the thing is, is they they are the antithesis of Nebraska and they take care of all of the little things. Um, they don't really beat themselves kind of like Northwestern, but they're better than that. Right. So they, and, and as bad as Nebraska was last year, they honestly should have beat Iowa last year. But as we've seen, that didn't really matter for what's been happening this season. Cause they didn't carry that momentum forward, but yes, we'll get to that. But to me, Nebraska needs to be more competitive in those two games because that's the next big measuring stick. First, you have to take care of Indiana in what's become a must-win game. I agree. Thanks for the time, Greg. Thank you. Joining the podcast this week to talk about Nebraska's next opponent, Indiana, is Cameron Drummond. Uh, He covers the Indiana Hoosiers for the Journal-Gazette in Fort Wayne. Cameron, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Thanks for giving us some time. How are you? I'm doing good today. Have a shelf, and uh, yeah, pleasure to be on and uh, talk a little Indiana Nebraska football. I'll be making the uh, the ten and a half hour drive each way to Lincoln this weekend, so uh, uh, hopefully it'll be a good game to justify twenty two hours in the car. You're driving here? We are driving. Yes, me and a couple other folks from uh, the Indiana student media contingent are making the uh, the drive, the uh, the long, fateful drive to Lincoln. Correct. Oh my goodness, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that's the same reaction. When, that's the same reaction everyone's given us so far that we've told <laughs> about the plan. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, we, okay, so before I really like the the schedule for Nebraska this season became um, just like like muscle memory for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I, there was a, a good stretch of time in probably like March or April where I was like Indiana is a road game, and yeah. I was very very excited to go to Bloomington. 
I th- I don't know if Nebraska. I haven't looked at the schedule for next year. I'm so, I'm so focused on this year, but um, I'm I'm very excited to go to Bloomington. I was very excited to go to Bloomington. Right. I did not know it was ten and a half hours, so <laughs> not as excited anymore. Yeah, I mean it's always a rare occurrence for Indiana and Nebraska play anyway. But back back during my freshman year in 2016, Nebraska was coming to Bloomington with Indiana's homecoming opponent, which turned out to be I think a five point Nebraska win. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot further than you think about when, uh, you realize that the big Ten's putting teams all over the country now, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, so this game for Nebraska has become, um, maybe it's biggest of the season. Like you, depending on who you talk to, they'll tell you that, that this is, um, a huge game or it's just another game, or this is like a, a very, very important game for Nebraska and the, the trajectory of the program, um, what what is what is how is Indiana approaching this? Because the you know Indiana's a, a win away from bowl eligibility has been you know that's that thread has been played up a lot this week, and that Indiana's going to come out um, hungrier than normal because you know they're a win away from bowl eligibility. But um, as you pointed out before we started podcasting, you got Northwestern at home the following week. So yeah. that, given the way that the Wildcats have played this year, like I don't, no disrespect to Pat Fitzgerald, but his team's not very good. Um, <laughs> what, what do you expect to see from Indiana in terms of its, um, in terms of intensity, in terms of its um, mindset to begin this game? Is it is it a hey we got to come out and punch this team in the mouth or like what like what are you expecting? Yeah, so I mean this is interesting for the Tom Allen era at Indiana because his first two years as head coach in 2017, they had to try and win their final three games of the year to become bowl eligible. So the only game they played with five wins was their final game of the year, which was a loss at Purdue. And then last year, they only had five wins for their final two games, which turned out to be a loss in Michigan and then a home loss to Purdue. So this is the first time, I think, since might be 2007 that Indiana has five wins before Halloween and they're going to have, you know, multiple repeated cracks, both home and away at trying to get six wins and get to a bowl uh, burst. And I think this game is interesting because it's not being viewed necessarily as, you know, that winner, you know, winner go home scenario that they've had the past couple of years. It's more of a measuring stick kind of, you know, moment for Tom Allen and his team because they showed last week, although it took a bunch of defensive stands at the end, that they were able to go into a Big Ten road environment at Maryland and win a game. They were the game they should have put away, you know, early in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, but they were finally able to get the defensive stand at the end. Now going into what's probably most definitely the most difficult road environment they've had since Tom Allen's been a coach with the blackout and everything that, you know, 90,000 people in Lincoln provides to a road team. It's can you execute when the pressure's on, when there's actual expectation onto yourself. Uh, there's been a lot of kind of joke movements on Twitter this year, something called hashtag nine Windiana about the Hoosiers trying to get to nine wins this season. And if they're going to do that, they're going to have to pick off, you know, a significant game left in their schedule, be it at Nebraska or home against Michigan. So the way I view it is with, you know, games like Northwestern looming, uh, a home game to end the season or a road game to end the season against a pretty bad Purdue team this year. They'll get six wins. Becoming bowl eligible probably isn't a problem for Indiana this season. But then you start to think of, okay, what could this team's potential be? We're talking seven, eight wins. We're talking about something particularly special. We're talking about a defining win in the Tom Allen era because Indiana hasn't had a defining win in you know, the past three seasons. You'd have to probably go all the way back to 2016 when Kevin Wilson was still here for there to be a big signature national you know, news-breaking win for the Hoosiers. And this weekend is an opportunity for that. 
And that's kind of, you know, a, a strange place for Indiana football to be in. They're cautiously optimistic and cautiously confident about things. And it hasn't been that way for a long time around here. It's it's interesting to me that, that you say that this weekend is the opportunity for a, a, a statement or a kind of a, a defining win for Indiana because Nebraska – um, at four and three, they were four and eight last year. They were four and eight the year and the year before the 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 shine around the end has, has maybe um, doled a little bit in, in recent years. But it's still, I, I feel like Nebraska, because of who Nebraska was and because it's Memorial Stadium and, and the sellout streak and, and blah blah blah, Nebraska's going to get every team's best um, each week. And it sounds like that'll be the case again with Indiana. What the the one of the keys to me is is well, I mean, it's not. It's not a hot take to say that the quarterback position yeah. is, is going to be a huge defining factor in this game. Both teams, I, I, I think both teams are playing a little bit of cat and mouse with, you know, Michael Penix is a is a game time decision per Tom Allen. And this week, Scott Frost is, has basically um, played coy on the quarterback thing. And we talked to him Thursday and he said, uh, he, the question that, that he was asked was like, do you have an idea of what your quarterback position is going to look like on Saturday he said yes I have an idea and then he was asked do you want to tell us who's playing quarterback he said no I don't (laughs) have you gotten the same kind of sense from Tom Allen that this is really like like he knows who's going to play quarterback um or, or do you get the sense that like Michael Penix is a game time decision there is a threat that he doesn't play this game and then the second part of the question is what does that do to Indiana's offense what does that do to um, Indiana's ability to, to win this football game if they are down their starting quarterback. Right, yeah. So I'll start with the first part. It's interesting because this is like a comparison that you can make just earlier into the 2019 season for Indiana because this isn't the first time that Michael Penix Jr. has dealt with injury this year. He got an, unspec- an unspecified injury, although it was likely a shoulder injury, uh, during the Week 2 win at home against Eastern Illinois. You know, FCS opponent blowout win. He didn't play the second half. No one thought too much of it. But then when, you know, it came to the light or it came to surface that he was injured and that was the week before the Ohio State game. And so everyone's asking Tom Allen, you know, what's stats on the quarterback or whatever. And he was not willing to share how much Penix was able to go in practice or how much he was able to actually work with the first team in practice leading up to that Ohio State game. Of course, Peyton Ramsey started that Ohio State game. The Hoosiers lost in a blowout. And then the week after that with Connecticut at home, Penix was still recovering from the injury. Allen was still very coy, not willing to share how much he was practicing. Peyton Ramsey goes out and leaves a, an Indiana blowout win against Connecticut. But this week, when we spoke to him earlier today, Tom Allen was willing to share that Michael Penix practiced most of the days this week, in addition to him still being a game-time decision. So just from the standpoint of Allen being willing to share how much Penix has gotten the practice reps ahead of this game against Nebraska, that probably leads you to believe that there's a much better chance of Penix making the start this weekend compared to earlier in the season when he dealt with injury concerns. At the same time, though, like I'm more of a pragmatic person just in general. And like if I'm in Tom Allen's shoes right now, yeah, I know you don't like to, you know, kind of count wins before they happen, especially in the Big Ten and especially with Indiana football. But I'm looking at Northwestern as a home game Saturday night. You know, crowd's going to be jacked. They're trying to get a lot of people there next uh, next Saturday for that home game. And if you don't win in Nebraska this weekend, in my opinion, that's okay because that's going to be your sixth winner. That's your real opportunity to get that sixth win. Nebraska's almost like a cherry on top of the ice cream Sunday for having a good season if you can pull it off. So I would probably lean on the side more of caution and play Peyton Ramsey this week, especially after he had a really accurate performance off the bench at Maryland. But I think there's a much better chance of Michael Penix playing this game than I would have, you know, probably said 
last week when you know he was going out injured in the second quarter in College Park. And to the second part of the question, does that? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to the second part of the question. Then it doesn't affect Indiana's offense as much as it used to. If you go back to last season when Penix was uh, a true freshman, he tore his ACL in his fourth game. Uh, playing at home against Penn State. So that's why he's a redshirt freshman this year. But he was really dynamic, and you can really tell how the IU offense changed and opened up when he was behind center. Uh, Peyton Ramsey does not have the strong arm as Michael Penix does. That's been well publicized. Peyton Ramsey's a lot more accurate than Michael Penix is. But the offense was just you know a, a total night and day difference last year when Penix was behind center compared to Ramsey. And we haven't seen that so much this year. Peyton Ramsey has been able to make a couple more throws. He's been able to escape the pocket a bit quicker in more of a Michael Penix-type style. Uh, so he's, you know, kind of stepped up his play in response to losing his starting job as a redshirt junior. And it's not quite as big of a difference in the offense and how they operate compared to which quarterback's behind center. You know, we'll ask some of Indiana's wide, leading wide receivers, guys like Nick Westbrook and Walk Fillier and Ty Fogel, if there's any difference between having Penix or Ramsey behind center. And most of the time, they'll say no. Nick Westbrook even told me that the playbook remains largely the same between with Penix behind center and Ramsey behind center because both guys are, you know, kind of dual threat quarterbacks in the way that they can make things happen, both with their arm and with their feet. So there's not even too much of a playbook change when, you know, Indiana changes quarterbacks. So I think that given all the circumstances, I would, if I was in Tom Allen's position, start Ramsey over Penix and kind of take a bit more care with that. But there's definitely a strong possibility that Penix starts regardless just because his injury situation doesn't seem to be as severe as we once would have thought. Let's go to the other side of the football. Indiana has a top 25 defense in the country in terms of yards per play given up. I think they're 18th, I think, in in total yards per game um, <laughs> surrendered by the defense. It's been a good defense this season. It's been a really good defensive performance this season. Um, you know, Nebraska's offensive coordinator this week said that, that the defensive line is probably going to be one of the more stout defensive lines that they've played. Um, Indiana has a, a really good um, – they're really good defending the pass. Have you been – impressed by uh this this defense through the first seven games did you expect this level of of play from this group that's, that's an interesting question you posed there just because indiana's defense while you know appearing pretty well statistically and you know in s&p rankings and you know turnovers and things like that they don't really blow you away with the eye test there's still you know some hallmarks of some classic indiana defensive mistakes that we've seen far too often over the past couple of years in bloomington there's still missed assignments by cornerbacks there's still instances of poor tackling and of you know communication not being where it needs to be at the midway point in the season so it, it's weird trying to you know go put the two things together indiana at times looks really bad on defense versus them having statistical success over the course of the seven games they've played so far. But I think one of the areas where you can really hang your hat on if you're a first-year defensive coordinator, Kane Womack, is just the fact that the defensive line and the pressure that they're getting to opposing quarterbacks is much more significant this year than past years. You have guys like Jerome Johnson, Alan Stallings, Michael Ziemba, who are making a lot more of an impact on the defensive front, and they're able to actually get a, more of a push on the line of scrimmage than past Indiana teams have. And the way Tom Allen's defense works, he likes to be aggressive at times with uh, the blitzing. And so you have guys coming down from the Husky position, which is what Indiana calls its hybrid safety linebacker spot. Uh, players like Marcelino Ball and Jamar Johnson have gotten time there this year and have recorded sacks there in crucial situations too. So 
it's it's a defense that impresses you on the stat sheet and does come up with you know a, the occasional critical play like they did twice, forcing turnovers to stuff out the chance of a Maryland comeback last week. But at the same time, they do have a ton of missed tackling, bad penalties, and missed assignments that makes most Indiana games a lot closer than they probably should be. I'm going to ask you two fill-in-the-blank questions. The first one, Indiana wins this football game this Saturday if fill-in-the-blank. And then the second one is Nebraska wins if fill-in-the-blank. Indiana wins the football game this Saturday if the offense continues its scoring success. Uh, I believe every game so far this season, Indiana scored at least 34 points, uh, regardless if it's been, or excuse, aside from the Ohio State game, let's you know, throw out the 10-point 10 10 point effort against Ohio State there for a second. Uh, in all their wins this year, Indiana scored at least 34 points, and that's, you know, regardless of having Peyton Ramsey or Michael Penix, a quarterback, they've been able to move the football down the field and perhaps most importantly actually cash in when it comes to red zone opportunities, not just settling for field goals, even though they have an extremely accurate kicker in Logan Justice. And then on the other side of the coin, Nebraska wins this football game if they're able to rattle the Hoosier offense early on. Uh, Kind of a big storyline this week has been the 90,000 people expected in Lincoln for this game. Tom Allen's brought in just massive uh, noise machines, massive speakers. He's blared them in the team room during meetings. He's blared them at practice. I live not too far from the stadium, so I can hear it every morning at 8 a.m. That's a great thing to wake up to. Um, But (laughs) if they're able to, you know, get Indiana off balance early on and open up a 10, you know, 13, 14-point lead, something like that, you know, within the first half, within the second quarter, I think it's probably a pretty long road back for Indiana, especially because, you know, no one will admit it, but you have half an eye to Northwestern at home because that's such a winnable game that you're probably not taking too many risks that you otherwise would if uh, that situation would play itself out in Nebraska for that being more of like a winner-take-all type deal. So Scott Frost has a, a, a reputation as a great offensive mind. Nebraska was supposed to be a really good offensive football team. Um, they haven't been this season the offense has struggled they had seven points against minnesota they had 13 points against northwestern seven points the week before so 20 20 points in in 12 quarters of play is not what anybody expected to see um it does does indiana feel like if they put enough points on the board they can hit a threshold where nebraska can't keep pace or like does Indiana feel like that this is a Nebraska team that just hasn't shown full potential? Like, what 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 are coaches saying about Nebraska? Right, I think I think it's more the more the latter on that one that they haven't shown their their true potential. I mean, you talk to Kane Womack or Tom Allen, they're you know full of praise for Adrian Martinez talking about him as a special, dynamic, game-changing type of quarterback. And the way Indiana's defense is as well, I talk about them being, you know, kind of mistake-prone at times. This isn't a defense, although it's made, you know, great strides from the defenses of 2015 and 2014 when they would give up 70 points a game. This still isn't a defense where you can necessarily hit a certain number and then feel comfortable that you run away and hidden from the opponent by any stretch of the imagination. So I think in the, from Indiana's perspective, obviously showing great respect to Nebraska. They still think Nebraska is a team in offense capable of putting up 30, 40 points if the right situations allow for it. So I think Indiana's going to have to probably keep its you know, foot on the pedal when it comes to trying to score points as early and as often as it can. And there's not really a point where, you know, okay, Indiana hits 25 points, they're going to be golden. I don't think that's the case at all, especially, you know, in a game at Maryland last week where they had multiple times to, you know, make it a 20-point game in the third quarter and kind of, you know, take care of business there. And they let the Terrapins hang around. And, you know, your one, uh, you know, 
interception from Maryland's quarterback at the end away from Maryland probably, you know, winning that game in dramatic fashion or something like that too. So that's probably going to be fresh on the minds of the Hoosiers as well. Interesting. What, okay, so one last question for you before we get you out of here. Score yes, prediction, what happens? Oh, man. That's a, this, is, this is such a tough game to read just because of the uncertainty at, at, at quarterback and at other skill positions for both teams on offense and the travel aspect, the fact these teams don't have too many recent games against each other, all those factors really play in. Uh, I think Indiana gets it done, honestly. I think that this is the moment where maybe Tom Allen kind of, you know, plants his flag as the Hoosier head coach and kind of says, oh, this is why things are different under me compared to the past two or three guys. I think the factors are there, even if Peyton Range is a quarterback, to have Indiana's offense once again turn in a pretty solid effort. And I think with Nebraska, there's just a lot of question marks, especially if Adrian Martinez can't go. I don't necessarily think it'll be a particularly high-scoring game. I could probably see this game getting pretty ugly at times. So I'll go with some kind of a weird score because why not let's go uh 19 to 17 indiana wins. we'll see all right cameron i'm sure you got work to do um getting ready for your your 10-hour car ride up here man thank <laughs> you for coming on the podcast giving us some time where can people find you where can people read your work yeah of course so i cover uh, indiana football for the journal gazette newspaper based up in fort wayne like you mentioned i'm always uh, tweeting out my article so if you follow me on twitter it's at c Drummond, which is my last name, D-R-U-M-M-O-N-D, C. Drummond 97. You'll uh, be kept up to date on uh, basically anything and everything you want to know about uh, Indiana football. And yeah, you're talking about me getting some work done before my car ride. It's just going to be me stretching for the next like 10 hours and getting ready to fold myself <laughs> into like a Jeep Cherokee or something and drive the distance. It's not, it's not going to be my car, thankfully. So hopefully I won't have to do too much of the driving. That's good. Well, safe travels, man. And uh, we'll see you when you get here. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. As always, we will have coverage throughout the weekend on HaleVarsity.com. Uh, volleyball is, I, I believe they're on the road. Jacob Padilla will have coverage on that. We'll obviously have coverage on on uh, Nebraska's game against Indiana before, during, and after. Uh, so keep it with HaleVarsity.com. We'll be back next week.